electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, inflation at a 40-year high. Now, there's bad numbers. Food up nearly a percent. Used car prices up one and a half percent. Apparel up one one. But stronger consumers are good for companies like Uber and Pepsi. It still holds true. Let me see, salty snacks and sodas. Yeah, I get it. Mask mandates are ending. Again, Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont on his decision. Our infection rates are back to low. Hospitalizations are way down. Most importantly, people have the ability to keep themselves safe now. And our second Ned of the day, Twitter CFO Ned Siegel, fresh off the platform's earnings call. We feel like we're set up for a strong 2022. Feels like advertisers are off to a big start in Q1. Acquisitions, Spotify, and work life after Jack Dorsey. A busy podcast today. It is Thursday, February 10th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Inflation is running hot, as they say. Consumer prices in January surged 7.5% from a year ago, the highest rate of increase since February of 1982, 40 years ago. The Labor Department released today the monthly consumer price index that happened while Squawk Box was on the air. Here's reporter Rick Santelli. Here we go. CPI, headline number, up six-tenths of one percent. Up six-tenths of one percent. The CPI measures the cost of dozens of everyday goods, and yeah, you're paying more for a lot of things. Cars, furniture, appliances, big-ticket items are surging, still from pandemic demand and supply chain issues. Food price hikes also hitting most consumers, meat, eggs, and citrus fruits. The inflation numbers come at a key moment for the U.S. economy, which experienced rapid growth in 2021. But that may not continue as fiscal and monetary stimulus winds down. The Federal Reserve is expected to hike interest rates this year. We got into all of that today with, as always, Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe kicks things off. First, though, we have today's edition of Lease Mania uh, with our Steve uh, Leesman and the Lease Maniacs are gathered, Steve. Yeah, uh, this is not a good report, um, but you had food up nearly a percent on the month. Used car prices up one and a half percent, apparel up one one. Uh, and I can't even read my writing there. Oh, airline fares up two point three percent. Owners equivalent rent, rent, Rick is right, up zero four. And there may be worse to come. So um, I did not expect much uh, alleviation here. I thought maybe there could be some help at all from some of the Omicron-related sectors, but it doesn't appear as if they helped either. So we have high inflation, uh, uh, Joe, and I think this keeps the Fed and its appointed rounds of raising rates. I do want to, while I'm talking, to take a very quick look at the chance of a 50 basis point rate hike uh, for March. I don't think that's a possibility. I don't see it up. Oh, wow. It is up a lot. It just spiked. Uh, oh, no. Joe, it, yeah. I, I went at it. It was 30% a, a probability going in. This is according to Refinitiv. 
It is now the odds-on mark here, my friend. I don't know if Rick is, can see the same thing. I know he does the math there. I have a 54% chance of a 50. I, I don't think that's what the Fed does, having listened to them. I think they hold back 50 for later if things get worse. And I'll tell you what. Okay. Uh, if anybody on the Federal Reserve Board is listening, please, please avoid guidance on 50 and then do 50. OK, we need to get ahead of this. OK, you're you're putting the markets through death of a thousand cuts. We're going to have some salve, some some Paulson salve to put on uh, on this. Um, let's see if he still feels this way. Let's bring in Jim Paulson, chief investment strategist at the Loothole Group. Are you just saying calm down, uh, Jim? <laughs> I'm going to enjoy the fireworks. Um, there, there's been a lot of lot of fear around the Fed and inflation. And uh, I um on one one part of me says all that fear is good. We've been discounting this for a long time. It, it I don't think it comes out of left field, really, because we've been worried about inflation for at least the last six months and worried about excessive Fed tightening, and and that's exactly what we got this morning. You know, there's bad numbers. I mean, uh, it's not just base effects because six tenths. If if you know that's a hot number, uh, even as the bases come up a little bit. But we're going to get another hot number next month as well. And thereafter, Joe, I, I think it's going to start to, to calm down a little bit. Um, you know, there, a couple of things. I, I'd say you mentioned, you know, industrial commodity price, CRB, raw industrial. Those things were soaring early in this recovery, and, and they have really stopped doing that in the last four or five months. They've been moving more sideways. I think that's the most sensitive to the economy, suggestive of things. But I think the biggest thing, Joe, for me is – there's a sense that the Fed's not doing anything. The fiscal authorities aren't doing anything. They're just ignoring inflation soaring without tightening. But the reality is we've had a lot of policy tightening that's gone on in the last year. Uh, real M2 money growth was 25% last March. It's now 6%. Uh, fiscal deficit spending to GDP last March was 18.5%. It's now 10.5%, 8 percentage point tightening in fiscal juice relative to the economy. These things have about a one-year lag, and that one-year window is going to come up starting in about April and start to work, I think, not only slow economic activity, but also, I think, inflation in general. So I I think the fear that we've had in this thing, um, I think I like the combo of a lot of fear and then uh, having a situation where I, I think there's some likelihood that some of those fears are dissipated as we go forward. And that's a powerful combo for stocks and bonds. And you even brought up some so yesterday demographic overall secular forces that are still in place. Do Rick or Steve, do either one of you, do either one of you guys feel any better? Uh, who, who, who wants to say work here, Rick? I feel better. I'm a contrarian. I love what he's saying. I just love what he's saying because I don't really believe much of it. And I agree usually with everything he says. Here's the problem. Okay. Pre-COVID, inflation was 2%. Okay. So now it jumps huge. And everybody's right. From 2% up to, what, 7% plus, we're going to start to come down. No doubt about it. And you're going to be right. It's going to be four and a half, five. The issue is, just because it came down from seven, the real issue is where it started. And I think that's where everybody's going to fall into this trap. Oh, my God, look at half of this inflation has disappeared. But it's still significantly higher than pre-COVID. And that is the point. All right, Steve. 
Rick, Jim, the problem, the problem with your with your sanguine outlook is, I think, the following. I think you're still going to get wage inflation work through the consumer price index. I don't think much of that has shown up. You had relatively muted higher, but still relatively muted inflation from housing uh, show up. Uh, and, and I also think you have other price increases to come before it gets better. The other thing I'd like to point out for Joe's sake here is that bacon prices actually fell 0.2%. When I think bacon prices at the supermarket are actually up, and so, Joe, I'm I'm sorry, but you silver may have lining. more bacon and, and silver course, lining. It doesn't affect me at all. That's the only data point I saw that that uh, I said, oh, bacon prices are down. Uh, all right, gentlemen, thank you, Rick, uh, Steve Leisman, uh, and Jim. And here I thought, uh, Becky, that Steve and and. Rick, were on the same. I don't know. I guess you know, it was very temporary. It was temporary, temporary love. Yeah. You know, transitory. Transitory. Shares of Uber. This is good news for them. The company's revenue beating estimates. It said its core business started to bounce back after headwinds caused by the Omicron COVID surge. Its mobility uh, booking came in at $11.3 billion. That was up 67% year over year. Airport bookings rose 24% from the prior quarter and nearly a 200% from the same quarter a year ago. But you got to think about what a year ago looked like. Yeah, in PepsiCo, organic revenue was up 11.9%, uh, according to the company. Uh, 12, that's for the full year, 12%, 9.5% for the, uh, for the uh, full year, and 12% in the fourth quarter, uh, $25.2 billion. Uh, in uh, in the fourth quarter versus a consensus of it says 24.2, so 25 versus 24, so that's that's not bad. Uh, core earnings up 13 percent, gross profit margins increased 10 percent. That's been the real tale of this earnings season. Which companies are able to pass on higher input costs and, and which aren't? It looks like Pepsi is one of those companies that is at this point. You get your bag. I did. Which to go did through. Is, I didn't uh, need anything. What? It's Super Bowl Sunday, man. Uh, it'll last. Uh, I, you know, I had a day of fasting. Can you believe that? A day of <laughs> Welcome fasting. Welcome back, by the way. How you feel? Thank you. I feel good. I feel good. Once again, the the are they proctologists that do that? They do yes. that all day long. You believe they do that all day long? I just, it's like I ask him, do you do this all day long? I think yeah, it's I mostly go, well, a morning a, thing, right? See a lot of stuff, don't you? But. Um, yeah, he said that one of the most exquisite colons beautiful. he had ever he had ever seen. Yeah, he did. He goes, it, it was exquisite. I've never seen one so. And All I said, of well, life thank is you. relative, wow. Joe. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Doc. Um, but so then that did that was waiting for me when <laughs> after it was all done and I was free Fill to eat. Fill back up. Yeah, I was free to eat. I don't. Was that a good idea to immediately go to those Doritos that are like so hot? Spicy that, hot ones. Yeah, they're, they're really hot. Anyway, I don't know. Have, you tell me. You didn't try anything? Yeah, they're, they're good. You didn't try anything. You tried nope. zero. Nope. No kidding. Andrew, uh, how about you? I, do, I don't have any, any special food. Oh. I don't have any special food. You didn't it's get the bag. It's probably here. It's probably here food. Yeah, it might, might be out in Englewood Cliffs. It still holds true. Let me see. Salty snacks and sodas. Yeah, I get it. Uh, not everyone, you know, Coca-Cola went a different route, obviously, uh, but Pepsi, a lot of people think that that business model really has been uh, effective. And uh, obviously during the pandemic, I don't know if I'd call it a pandemic play, but if you're home, it's nice to have some salty snacks.
Check out Disney. Disney shares are higher this morning, and that alone is helping the Dow futures picture. Disney shares up by 7.6% after the company came in with earnings of $1.06 a share. The street was only looking for $0.63. Cents. Revenue also beating, and subscriptions to Disney's streaming service also came in well ahead of estimates. In an interview on Closing Bell, the CEO Bob Chapek said that Disney is bidding for NFL, tickets, or NFL Sunday tickets. Well, we're bidding for it. And, uh, you know, we always say that uh, if uh, an investment is accretive to our shareholders, we'll go ahead and do it. But the moment that it's not, we'll, we'll back out. And we hope it is. In the meantime, the real story for the quarter was the parks revenue. It came in at $7.2 billion. That was double the total from the same quarter a year ago. Disney said that more people attended its themes parks. They stayed in its branded hotels and they booked cruises. And my guess is they probably spent a lot of money while they were at the parks. Guys, I don't know if you've seen it recently, but Disney, to get into the park just for a single park ticket, not a park hopper, just the lowest tier that you can get in, it's $103. And look, consumers are flush right now. If they've got the money, they're going to go, they're going to spend. And I think this is another one of the companies that was able to just post these, uh, show, show us how strong the consumer is at this point. With how much people want to have fun and have had their fun sort of cut short for a yeah. couple of years, that seems pretty cheap for a day at, uh, I mean, isn't that what you say? I'm, I'm going to Disneyland. I mean, if, if uh, that, that's, it's almost like Kleenex as an expression when you want to do the, the, the most fun you can have. I mean, I think Universal is probably better. But, but can uh, we go back to the, the streaming question? Mm-hmm. To, to me, the streaming issue is the big one because it also has the impact on whether you think what it portends for every other media right. company. I mean, to me, that's the, the larger story. It, and what I can't tell, I don't know. I don't know. What I can't tell from these numbers is, is it translatable? And also, given that so much of it came from outside of the United States right. at a lower margin, right. how the investor is supposed to think about that and therefore how they're supposed to think about other companies that are going to try to do the same thing. I, I think it's back to having two economies again, like it was during the pandemic. There's us, where I'm so... C- craving content that I don't think about what it costs, but not everyone can afford 10 streaming services, I don't think. For us, I, I, it, I wouldn't even question, like when you said Netflix, what, what did they raise the price to, Andrew? And, you know, we're so lucky. That, 20 that bucks on the high end. Yeah, that we're, we're lucky that we're in that position, but I don't think we should extrapolate that, uh, that everyone can just have every streaming service that they no, want. No, that's, that's what I've been saying. I think that there's a top on all of this in terms of what people, and, and you're seeing the churn in the U.S., but I'm saying here we are seeing this growth, and what you're seeing in a lot of the headlines is people are suggesting, oh, look at Disney. They outperformed. Netflix didn't. Yeah. What is this? And I, the question that I'm wondering is, if you are running any of those companies today or you're an investor in any of those companies today, how much you're supposed to take away from the Disney number? I don't know how much you can That's take all. away without more information, right? Like, right. I, 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 you're right that they are giving it away or giving it, giving it for a lower margin when they're going international. Um, Disney probably has some content that translates pretty well internationally, too. It may be a little more difficult for some other companies to kind of do that. Um, but you're right. I, I don't know how much you can take away because we don't know the profit numbers on any of that. It's going to be Ed a while supported, before they Ed are supported models profitable. that are either cheaper or free, or free may become, yeah. you know, because you can get it. There's the content. You want to see it? Okay, here you get it. You watch a minute or a minute and a half, and they put the little thing up there so you can see how long you're in for on the commercial. And, you know, the other, you know, totally ad-supported network TV, they've abused us. 
They've abused us. They, they do four minutes at a time sometime where, you know, you can leave, you, you can go, you know, go to the store and come back and you, you barely make it before you, they come back from Kurt. But the real short ones, I, I like it kind of. It lets my mind relax for a second with the... Uh, no, it lets you look down at your other screen, your second screen, yeah, right? That's, yeah, Let me do this that, for a second. That's probably, that's probably true, but a minute to a minute and a half is fine. Next on Squawk Pod, masks be gone. Some states are lifting the mandate this month. Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont. I'm not saying no masks. I'm saying I'm going to leave it up to the city of New Haven. I'll leave it up to the town of Willimantic. I think they have the position to make the call now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Uptrack, stand Becky by. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Connecticut joining states like New Jersey and Delaware in ending mask mandates in schools and other places, too. Joining us right now to talk more about it is Governor Ned Lamont of uh, Connecticut. And, Governor, thanks for being with us today. We have seen uh, just in the last week or so, I believe it's eight blue states that have said that they are going to be ending mask mandates now or very soon after. Um, and there's been a, a lot of discussion about this. Just what prompted this at this point when, when the CDC is still saying that people should be wearing masks even if they're vaccinated? Hey, good morning, Becky. Yeah, we worked on this together as governors uh, throughout the region. Um, we thought this is a good time. We think it's a good time because our infection rates are back uh, low. Hospitalizations are way down. And most importantly, people have the ability to keep themselves safe now. They have the ability to get boosted. They have the ability to wear the mask. We've got N95 masks to everybody. You're going back to school. We want you to get tested to prove that you're safe. I think we can do this safely. Is, is there frustration that the CDC didn't kind of move sooner to find an off-ramp or to describe when they thought things should be changing? I guess they have a nationwide mandate. So we decided to act on our own, act regionally. And by the same token, here in the state of Connecticut, I'm not saying no masks. I'm saying I'm going to leave it up to the city of New Haven. I'll leave it up to the town of Willimantic. I think they have the position to make the call now. What, what do you think will happen? I mean, just based on what you've seen so far, based on what you've heard, do you think this means that, that places of business, schools will pretty quickly drop those mask mandates as well? If I had to guess, Becky, I think our... Um, Major metropolitan areas will probably keep the mask on a little bit longer. They were perhaps hit harder, a little less likely to be vaccinated. I think our small towns will probably be quicker to say um, on February 28th, uh, we're ending the mask mandate in our towns. This decision that you all made, was it based on your expectations for where the virus is, where you expect it will be in the, in, in, in the coming weeks? Is there 
a level of transmission that would make you say, okay, the masks need to go back up? Well, first of all, you know, we had dropped by two thirds, three quarters over the previous uh, few weeks. We're not implementing this until February 28th. So that gives us another a couple of weeks or so to make sure these trends hold. Uh, there's no absolute me metric, though, uh, Becky, because, you know, if it's Delta, you probably re really worry about um, an infection rate that's lower because it's so much more lethal. If it's Omicron, it was a bad case of the flu for anybody who was vaccinated. So we got to be agile. I mean, this is a situation that it seems is pretty heated on both sides of the debate. Um, I'm, I'm guessing I've, I've read that the uh, the teachers union has pushed back on this, that they don't want the mandates dropped at this point. What other constituencies do you hear from and how do you kind of sort it all out? The teachers are going to be great. Uh, we, we kept our schools open, not just last September, but a year ago, September. And we did it with the teachers and educators coming in. I was giving my state of the state state speech yesterday. At the same time, I'm saying we're ending the statewide mask mandate. I had 500 protesters outside yelling end the statewide mask mandate. So things are pretty heated. <laughs> yeah, it, it has uh, been something to behold over the last couple of years. You know, Governor, Governor, there are so many issues that you are facing right now. We are talking about uh, the new CPI number, the new inflation number. It's been something that private employers have moved pretty quickly to try and raise rates to make sure that they can maintain um, their labor force in such a tight labor market. And I just wonder how things are playing out there. I know Connecticut has a pretty special situation where uh, you're, you're facing a huge number of your employees potentially retiring um, by this summer because July 1st, there will no longer be these cost of living increases that go in. I know there was a BCG report that said something like 27% of the state employees could retire by June 30th, and that 75% of that 27% are leaning towards it. What do you do? How do you maintain a workforce in this environment? Yeah, great. You did your homework. Um, <laughs> You know, first and foremost, work has got to pay, and that's in the public sector, private sector. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, having a job in state government, that was great. You got this pension and you could retire. And um, today we got to, we're in a very different competitive environment, I think. We got to work hard to recruit people and train people. Um, we're doing that. We're providing uh, signing bonuses as part of our budget, uh, helping people when it comes to nurses and essential workers, forgiving their student loans doing everything we can to make it easier for you to uh, keep working and get a job. And finally, for me, daycare is so enormous. We've lost so many women from the workforce. I need them back. And if we can provide, um, you know, really affordable health care for every uh, child care for everybody, that will make a big difference. Governor, maybe it's uh, the, this, I don't know, the state of the world where we are right now or social media, but everything gets politicized. And, and this has been politicized all along. Uh, and uh, here's the latest. Uh, and there are Republicans saying it's perfect timing. Democrats suddenly ditching science, whether it ever was science at this point, ditching science for politics as they see the internal polling based on what's going to happen in the midterms. And then they, they I mean, they, they're Kevin Hearn. He's a Republican from Oklahoma, said, I'd love to see whatever internal polling went around the Democrat Party last week. This is certainly no coincidence as all these blue states are rolling back mandates. What do you what do you say to that? I think that's nonsense, Joe. I mean, look where we were uh, five weeks ago. Everybody was desperate to get their rapid test. They were waiting in line five hours in many cases. Now um, we're on the backside, I hope, of Omicron. The numbers have come down and the metrics are pretty clear. We can um, we can get rid of these mass mandates um, and we can do it safely. And if the world changes, we can change with it.
ask the question about if there's a point where you would put the masks back on. I mean, there's there's not a clear metric that says we're taking them off because we've hit this level of community transmission. There's not something that says, okay, if, if, if something comes back and there's this level of transmission, they'll go back on. I mean, going to the point that for a long time, people have been saying they'd follow the science. Um, I, we don't know what the science is underneath that says, why now? I think two things. One, um, the most important metric for me is hospitalizations. We want to make sure our hospitals aren't overwhelmed. They're down. We got capacity. We're able to do, you know, all the electives that we need. And number two is that uh, we kept the masks on a little bit during Delta, as you know, or all throughout Delta uh, and Omicron, because I didn't want to see a lot of quarantines and shutdowns of our schools like you saw in some of those places, uh, those states where they didn't have the masks. I think now we're in a different place. I think the numbers say we're in a different place. And I think the people of Connecticut have earned it. Uh, they've got the right to make the choice. You talked about the regional um, coalition with other governors. Did you all discuss a level that, that you'd say they'd put them back on? Or is this a situation where people are so tired of wearing masks that you think it's going to be pretty difficult to try and convince people to go back once the masks are off for good? No, I just don't think, Becky, there's an absolute number. You know, obviously, uh, infection rates for Omicron are very different in terms of impact than they are for, say, Delta. So we'd have to see what um, happens next. But I think if we keep the hospitalizations down, we keep our schools open, the kids don't have to wear a mask. Governor, where does testing um, fit into all of this for you? I just went to a dinner last night. Everybody was tested uh, ahead of the dinner. I think it made everybody feel pretty comfortable that, that hopefully— uh, we're, we're, we're all not getting it. But over time, one of the things we've seen is testing's ramped up, then testing almost disappeared completely. That became its own problem when it came back. How do you think about that now and in terms of the investment around it? Look, it gives people a great deal of uh, security and confidence, Andrew. And um, that's really important for me. I mean, it's not simply a matter of, um, you know, mass in schools. It's a matter of making sure our educators and teachers feel safe coming into the school. Uh, workforce and uh, being able to test and know that you're safe is a big part of that. You know, six weeks ago, everybody wanted to test twice a day. We were so nervous. Um, I think more likely it is if you're showing symptoms, uh, if you feel like you maybe were exposed, we're going to get you a rapid test at no cost. Thank you. Good to see you today. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Twitter's biggest investment itself life after founder Jack Dorsey leaves the company and returns for investors of Twitter with CFO Ned Siegel. We ended the year with six and a half billion dollars of cash. We added a billion in very early January from the sale of Mopub. With seven and a half billion dollars of cash, we feel like we can continue to invest in the growth opportunities inside the company, but also return cash to shareholders. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. 
Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Let's talk Twitter because shares of Twitter jumping in the pre-market. The company missed analyst expectations on the top and bottom lines, but investors don't seem to care about that right now. They may be cheering the fact that Twitter announced a new $4 billion stock buyback program. Joining us right now, first on CNBC, directly following Twitter's earnings call, is Chief Financial Officer Ned Siegel. Ned, it's great to see you this morning. Let's talk about this earnings report and also talk about the buyback. Let's talk about the operations of the company first, uh, because there was a miss. And I think that there are people who are going to focus on that. We can talk about the focus on the buyback in a moment. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's great to be here to talk a little bit about our results and our outlook. We came in at the top half of the revenue guidance that we gave. We came in in line with the audience outlook that we'd given for Q4, and we feel like we're set up for a strong 2022. Uh, we said that we'd grow revenue low to mid-20s and that we would uh, grow expenses in the mid-20s. We've done some important resource reallocation to hold things to that level. And feels like advertisers are off to a big start in Q1. When you think, though, about this buyback, uh, which is what seems like everybody's focused on, what was the rationale for that relative to using that cash for other needs? So we ended the year with $6.5 billion of cash. We added a billion in very early January from the sale of Mopub, which allowed us to focus more of our resources on the ads opportunity on Twitter. So with $7.5 billion of cash, we feel like we can continue to invest in the growth opportunities inside the company, but also return cash to shareholders. Inside of that $4 billion share repurchase, we plan to enter an accelerated share repurchase program to buy $2 billion worth of the shares in the very near term, and then to have the flexibility to buy back more over time. So we hope that we can continue to grow the company through hiring people, through building out our infrastructure, through continuing to be acquisitive, but also through this share repurchase program. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, though, because we've had lots of conversations over the past couple of years about acquisitions, and you've been quite acquisitive, uh, mostly with smaller companies. But does this suggest that you don't think that there's a better buy with your cash right now than your own stock? Well, we'll still have lots of cash left to both execute on growing our headcount. We grew headcount 35% last year. We'll grow it about 20% this year. And by being acquisitive, we bought over 25 companies over the last four years. They're usually, as you've mentioned, technology and talent. Uh, but we also have bought businesses when they've helped us accelerate our work. And we'll continue to bring that same mindset to M&A as we look at opportunities in front of us. I was struck by this. Uh, advertising revenue uh, totaled $1.41 billion. That's up 22% year over year, 24% on a constant currency basis. But then total ad engagement appeared to decrease 12% year over year. Why is that? Well, it's a sign of our success, actually, in our direct response ad formats. As you know, our brand direct response mix has been 85-15 historically. So there's a really big opportunity for us to show more direct response ads to people on Twitter and to help advertisers with what we call down funnel uh, ads opportunities, uh, where people are clicking to download something or to buy something. When you click on an ad, that's a higher threshold to be in engagement. And so when ad engagements are going down because of a mix shift, 
to higher uh, to direct response ads where there's a higher threshold for it to be an engagement because you're not just watching the ad, you have to click through, there's a call to action of some sort. It's actually a sign of progress for us that the mix shift towards performance ads is working. That's why performance ads grew faster than overall ads in Q4 and it was really driven by our app install or map product. What should investors take away? This is the first time we're talking to you uh, since um, the new CEO has been put in place. Parg is in that role now. Uh, Jack is no longer in that role. Any difference? Well, Prague's off to a great start in building on the success that uh, Jack had in his time as CEO. Jack really set the strategy and put us on a great course, and Parag is building on that by reorganizing the team. We now have a GM structure, so there are three people who are responsible for delivering outcomes, and they have all the resources available to them to deliver on those outcomes. Uh, he's also got us more focused on metrics and doing everything we can to move faster. Uh, and that mindset is contagious across the company as we think about all the work that we have in front of us. He's off to a great start. You you're still talking to Jack? about what's going on at the company. By the way, he's been like let loose on Twitter. All of a sudden, now that he's, he's no longer uh, running the company, he, he, he says things on Twitter he used to never say before. Well, Jack's always been provocative, and I think it's part of what led him to be able to found two incredible companies and to have as much impact as he has on the world as one of these iconic founders. And so it's, it's fun to watch what he has to say, and he's still on our board through May, and so we benefit from his insights regularly. What do you make of the re-rating that's happened in the technology world? And, and maybe you could speak specifically to the way the investor communities looked at Facebook and, and frankly, how for so many years they've compared Twitter to Facebook. Well, it's a fascinating time in the markets with so many different factors affecting how people think about uh, equities and uh, share price uh, from inflation to COVID uh, to uh, uh, other factors that affect us. When we step back and look at it, we see $150 billion ads opportunity for us outside of China, outside of search. We're 3% of that today. So we feel like there's so much in our control where we focus less on what's happening somewhere else and more on what we can do at Twitter to earn more direct response ad dollars, to grow our audience. Uh, we talked today about 35% year-over-year growth in signups in Q4. That's a great example of the opportunity we've got to grow our audience over time. And then I finally wanted to ask you, uh, Joe Rogan, Spotify, dealing with a lot of the issues that you've been dealing. What, what do you think of what they are doing over there? And how do you think it relates back to some of the issues that you've confronted? Well, it's a fascinating time for a lot of companies who find themselves uh, making decisions about both how to invest in content and what decisions they ought to make and what the principles are behind those decisions. So, Hard for me to judge uh, somebody else on these, but uh, when I think about Twitter, we try to be principled and consistent in what people can expect from us. So when you see content on Twitter, for example, uh, it's uh, owned or it's created by the person who posted it. Sometimes we share ad dollars uh, with content partners, but you don't see us paying for content in the same ways. And so it's a different set of challenges than you might see uh, for them or for somebody else out there. Ned Siegel, always good to see you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Before we go to break, a couple things we've, we've kidded around about yesterday, but it, in all seriousness, since we dispense so much health advice on this show anyway, uh, get that done, 
if you're 50 or 55 or whatever, every five years, it is a breeze. It's the easiest <laughs> thing in the world. It is. I it's know. the easiest thing in the world. And it's so good to know. It's so good to know. It's a one, one of the one things you can do and just, you know, take Victory that, lap. you know, everything else can go wrong. So, but, but at least get that done. Yes, take care of yourself. And thanks for listening today. If you've got any other guys named Ned we should include on Squawk Pod, let us know. You can send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC. Tell us what you think about the podcast, too. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 